Kenai. Today we have another one year later story for you today. We're meeting back up with one of our favorites, one of our homies. <laughs> Billy's back with us today to talk about his one year later. Actually, it's more than a year later though. So last time we met was July of 2018. So it's about a year and a half ago, a full year and a half ago by the time this actually gets out. And so there's been some big things in the last year that have been been happening, right? Oh yeah, what was it August? Yeah, August, August July, something like that. I remember it was uh, almost October, and I got into a relationship that time. And they always warned us never to get into a relationship. Oh man, like a year mm-hmm. before your year, and I did. Now uh, that time, I made this person my higher power. To be honest, uh, mm-hmm. I was going to meetings, but I wasn't praying or anything. I wasn't putting the twelve steps into my life, applying it to my life. And what I've learned in recovery, I stopped doing that. And for that, from there, August until October twenty-seven, I ended up relapsing. Mm-hmm. And I remember. They always say your relapse happens before you even drink. So mm-hmm. it was a week before that. Because I remember a week prior, I was thinking of drinking. And there was that attitude was coming, like all the character defects. And I remember when my, my little brother was trying to smuggle booze to the village for my stepdad. And and I remember taking the backpack room and throwing it in a closet instead of a fucking garbage. Mm-hmm. And I remember way when I when I took the ball, put in the at first it was in the bag back, and he was uh I was bringing him from Anchor to Kenai and told me there was a bottle there, and I remember I, I told him to go to my apartment, wait for me, and I was in the in my truck, literally trying to decide if I should drink it right now. I was like, shit, should I drink it tonight? And my little brother said, oh, no, I'm sober. So I just waited until he left. And when he left, for that, for like five days, for, when he was there for two days, I didn't want to drink very bad. And for the last five days, I kept on going back and forth to that closet mm-hmm. where the bottle was. And I remember, they always say that insanity will be turned into drink. And I was getting insane and crazy, and and end up moving one bottle from the closet to the refrigerator. In there. Kept on going back and forth to that for a couple of days. Even if I had solutions, but already that disease already had been gripped because I was saying alcohol is cunning, baffling, and powerful. And I remember day October twenty-seven. I remember scared. I'm not gonna forget that feeling. I remember I was crying, trying to decide if I should kill myself or drink. I had a lot of pills and the bottle. End up just drinking, just drinking this thing. And I woke up the next day, October 28th. That's my new sobriety date. But last year, um, I remember waking up crying, so disappointed, and like, man, all that eight months gone. And there was two more bottles in the refrigerator, and I had a decision to drink or go to a meeting. But I was leaning towards the drink in my head, and I was—it was about 10:53. Uh, 
I was still crying and trying to decide if I should drink and I had a moment of clarity in my head and I was like, God have me the courage to call someone. And I remember thinking to myself, maybe if I drink this now, I'll feel better. And then a small voice came into my head, like if I drink this now, it's going to feel a lot worse than it feels right now. So I called the person in the program and told me to pick me up for the meeting and I picked me up and told him I relapsed. And says, all right, it's happened. It happens. Well, it always, it always happens. End up going to this meeting and uh, it was a speaker meeting and I remember hearing this person sharing, but I don't, I don't remember what he said. The only thing I could hear was pray, pray, pray. And then 12.30 hit and it was halftime. I went to the bathroom and hit my knees and asked God, and I God, hey man, it's your life, my life's your life now, take over. Still to that day, I never stopped in my knees. And first whole month was, first month of coming back was pretty hard. Because I got a, ended up getting a new sponsor who's exactly like my sponsor in Arizona, who's uh, always pretty blunt about his answers and stuff. Mm -hmm. and really I, direct. Yeah, really yeah. direct and honest, honest with me, like calling my out because he knew me. And I got him, I was asking to be my sponsor after a month, and there was all these challenges because I was, um, I remember talking to him like, man, I relapsed after eight months and still going in that self pity. And he told me those relapses just you just drank. Those eight months you still have, the knowledge is still there. You know the solution. So technically, you already know what way you know where to go. Mm -hmm. And I remember talking to him, maybe I should go back to the serving house. You don't have to go to the serving house anymore. You don't have to go to treatment anymore. You know where the solution is at. It's in this book. And I took that to heart. And I didn't go back to treatment. And he told me, it's like you're going to treatment, just back to treatment, just going back there, doing the exact same thing, expecting different results. You're going to hear the same thing from the first moment. You're going to learn all the stuff you already know? Yeah. So yeah. I took that and I already know what's happening. So I stayed in the rooms, took the suggestions seriously, and for about I think three months I was dealing with anger from people. I was getting irritated from people, with people in the rooms, and I kept on asking a lot of questions. People with a lot of time and sobriety, even with people who have a year, and mostly people with a lot of time, asking a lot of questions about how do you go through this, how do you, how do you beat this, and mm -hmm. and this person told me to pray for this person. Always pray for them because they're sick people too. And he said to me, if I can phrase it right, um, look at them as like they're a sick person. If someone's sick in the hospital, if they get you in the hospital, would you call it back at them? And they're like, no, I mean, so I treat everyone like, I mean, not, not looking down on them or anything, right. just um, like they're sick people, and like I'm sick too. I'm also sick. It's kind of the mindset you have to keep to. Mm -hmm. To show a lot of compassion. Mm -hmm. A lot of compassion and stuff. Because I remember when I got here, I'm from a village and I'm native and all that stuff. And like, you know, white people can help me. Like, how are they going to help a native? Until I, I, I didn't want to listen to in the beginning when I first came in 2017. And now, when I actually listen, they're all the stories are the same. It's like, holy 
a different culture, but same story. Mm-hmm. And I started learning, like listening in these rooms. People a lot of time listen to do their suggestions. And this whole year was, I'd say, was the best year I ever had. Mm-hmm. Even if there was a lot of troubles and trials, a lot of pain and sadness, but it was the best year I ever had. Because through those pain, the pains I went through, through family loss and all these things, that taught me how to move on. Because I asked people how they would do it. Right. And through that is experience. Where I get to experience this. And this experience I can teach someone who's going through the exact same thing and tell them how I would do it and pass it on. Mm-hmm. And that's how I'm learning. It's, it's, it's recovery. Right? Yeah. Even with um, normal people who don't have drug, drug problems or anything, or alcohol problems, I help them too. And there was a lot of eye-openers this year. A lot, a lot of family diapers. My family. There was um, uh, one last week, and my younger cousin, she's 18 years old, um, frozen outside. I don't know if she hit her head or something. She was drunk and hit her head. And a year ago, that would have bothered me big time. And through going through recovery. Asking these people with a lot of time how they would do it. And one of the, my main guys I go to for grief is, uh, he has like 26 years of sobriety. And he, he, he also dealt with a lot of deaths in, in his family. And I asked him how he went through it. One of his, one of his, um, deaths that impacted him was his grandpa. He was old and but uh, what he said was kind of crazy. But, um, he's, he said to his grandpa, Grandpa, I don't want you to go. It's going to be sad. And he's like, hey, don't be sad when I'm gone. Because if you're sad here and looking down at you, I'm going to be sad in heaven. And told him that like this place, Earth, is heaven. Once you learn how to deal with your problems and go through them and basically work on the inside, it's not the outside, how you see life. Inside is really important. Mm-hmm. You clear all your troubles and trials, make amends to people, and learn what's right and wrong, and you feel this peace inside, I feel today. And that's, and he told me, it's just a little piece of heaven in here. It's like a new pair of glasses on. Mm-hmm. Each day we have a choice to put that glasses on. And how we see the world. Some days I don't feel like that. <laughs> right. Sometimes you just want to leave those glasses off. Yeah, I feel that. Yeah, it's, uh, some days I don't feel like that. I gotta learn how, learn how to uh, put myself on the right track. It's like prayer and meditation. I'm learning the meditation till this day. I, when I had about ten months, I was going through this panic attack, and I was driving my buddy to the Serenity House, and I started feeling this panic in my head. You know, and at 10 months, I thought about a drink. Uh, I was like, hey, man, I know what to fix that, a drink. And instead of taking action on that thought, I was like, hey, man, call my grand sponsor. He has like 31 years. And I guess, hey, man, can you meet me here, here, here? And he went to go meet me, and I was just trying to calm down and all that stuff. And he told me to sit down and relax. And he taught me how to meditate. How he taught me how to meditate was just keep breathing like four times in that box four, whatever they call it. 
what to think for, what to think for, and he told me to go to a place in your childhood that made you feel happy or create a place. Mm-hmm. And this place is a, is a white room and a white bench on there. And he asked me to sit down in this room and wait for someone to show up. It might be an animal or something. It might be anything. So I was just sitting there and he was, he was being quiet and I was just, he told me to wait and I was just being quiet and I sat down and I was waiting and dog that passed on a long time ago showed up. Mm-hmm. And, and he told me to ask, what did you bring me? What did you bring me? And the dog didn't say anything, but he said courage. Like I felt the courage. Mm-hmm. And I learned that and I opened my eyes and I was calm. And I still use that today. Mm-hmm. So far, a bunch of people showed my mom who passed away. She brought love and all that stuff. And I, I don't know if it was God or someone or some random person showed up. And I don't know. And now today I look at death, family deaths, is, is different than how I used to look at it. Because mm-hmm. I used to look at it as the world's ending, I'm going to be alone and forever. And that's my selfish side. That's what, missing them and wanting them here is my selfish side. Mm-hmm. And I got to remember they're God's children. They're just going home to a better place. And now today I just uh, thank you God for putting this person into my life. Take care of me. Mm-hmm. And I just move on. Sometimes it is sad. I get sad every now and then. Mm-hmm. But that's normal. That's human beings. Grief. Yeah. It's human beings to grieve for someone who's gone. And it's okay to cry. Oh, yeah. And I'm learning that crying is your, basically your body's detoxing from Anger, sadness, even happiness too. So, crying's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, no doubt. Yeah, this, yeah, telling this whole year's been the best journey. Because I got to bond with my baby brother. Mm-hmm. Because um, I remember when I went to Phoenix, when I thought about a geographical change, it changed me. And uh, it had to be inside work. But I remember flying over there landing in Phoenix and getting a text from my baby brother still hurts me today. But what he said, I wish you were an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And that got me thinking. So it makes me tear up sometimes. Every time I think about it. Because like in these in these rooms they they always say moment of silence and reflect on why you're here. And that moment of silence I reflect on how I got here. And I remember coming uh, coming back in the rooms. I was crying. I can't I can't forget that feeling because that was the worst feeling I felt. And when I got to make bond, make memories with my brother, and making a living amends, we went to an NBA game. Mm. And he, <laughs> when he was young, I. I made sure he was a weight fan. He's <laughs> <laughs> nice. a weight fan, so he's been a weight fan all his life. And we went to go see one of his last games in Portland. And, and I remember we were going in there. I had about five months sober, and we were sitting like close to the court. Mm-hmm. And there was a bunch of drinking around us, but that didn't bother me because that obsession had gotten in my head. Compulsion has gone in my head. 
I remember halftime, halftime, third quarter started, and Wade was on fire, and my brother was up there jumping and cheering and all that stuff, and I was just sitting down looking at him. Thank you, God. Like, thanks for keeping me so. I remember I was just really feeling. But um, those me memories, they are the best memories I have so far. I'm not going to let that go. And it's thanks to being sober, continuing to be sober. And there's a lot more too that happened to one of my older brothers. He's my cousin, but his family took us in. I remember texting him when I got back to the rooms October 28th and told him he was like, man, I relapsed and he told me, well, it's your fault. No, no compassion or anything because I, I kind of pissed him off every time I drank. Every time I drank in my whole town, he'd be like, you better not come back to the house. I'm going to kick your ass and all that stuff. And there's a lot of fights and stuff arguments every time I go home, girl go high. And he had a big resentment. And for this whole year, when I was going through the steps and going, going with my sponsor, every time I text him, I'd say, how you doing? Every month, how you doing? How you doing? He's like, oh, what the hell you want? Started with that. What the hell you want? What the hell you want? And I think after seven months, like, how you doing, brother? He's like, I'm doing okay. Let's do it. And start building up, building up. And when we got to Anchorage, I got to see see his son. And I remember making amends to him. We were going to Flat Top and we were up there with his little family, his little his girlfriend and his daughter went down the hill to the truck and I remember we were up there and talking about her mom, my auntie, I still call her mom, how, how she was, they're picking all this up, all the good memories. And I, I made amends to him, made, told him I'm sorry for what I've done. And then up there, he, when he was there, he told me like how proud he was, proud of me trying to change my life. And never once in our life, me and his life, we said I love you to each other. And he, at the moment, there was a first I love you, and then, like, I just want to know I love you. Now we end our texts like that. I love you, brother. I love you. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. I did not do that. That was my higher power who I choose to call God. He did that. Because whatever happens in my recovery, anything good, it's not my doing. Because God did for me what I couldn't do for myself was that He kept me sober. He got me sober. He repaired life, repaired my life, repaired friendships, repaired bridges from them. So I'm grateful for that. And yeah, that's one of my favorite memories. Those two memories, my brother and my older brother. And I'm not gonna let that go. And my other brother, the uh, second oldest, he got his first kid 
was um, October 28th, the day I got sober. <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> I don't know if it's a God thing or not. Cause I, remember, <laughs> um, I remember waking up. That's when I told you I was crying all that stuff, and God gave me courage to go to meeting. I went to the meeting, and I was and I was asked uh, two old timers who had a lot of time if I could sleep at their place so I can gather stuff in my head, be in a safe place, and I went to their place, and I kept. I was reading the book. Reading the book they gave me and praying and and uh, around four or five my brother called me hey nephew's work Walter's work mm-hmm. and I'm I didn't stay sober because of him I'm stay I'm staying sober because of I was because they always say no human power could relieve you from suffering from this insanity mm-hmm. and has to be us do it for ourselves. And it's a selfish program, but we give a lot, give a lot, showing people how we can stay sober. And when I first met him was about a month ago. Because hmm. he came, my my brother's Adrian, and we're pretty tight. Because yeah, he's my actual brother, blood brother. He's my my older brother who I talked about because his family took us in. And and we're grateful for him. I don't know how my brother is go went through it our whole childhood because he was all normal. (laughs) (laughs) And me like I mean that everything family lot didn't bother him too much. Like or at least he dealt with it a little better. I dealt with it a lot better. Yeah. Me, because it's all about me. I was like, what the fuck's happening to my life? Mm-hmm. And You're unraveling, and he's just trying to hold everything together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I remember growing up in my auntie's place when she took us in. Like, I had that thought at night. I came to a broken point. Still had that thought. And my brother was all normal and stuff. And still bothered me and yeah now we grew up and growing up and he has a, his first kid now he's getting another one and got to meet him little Walter and that was one of the good memories too first time meeting him was like damn he didn't know me but <laughs> the first time seeing me like first time crying and I got used to it and stuff and mm-hmm. uh, really pride and joy Scott, I gotta thank God for bringing these people into my life. Thanks God for bringing you, you guys into my life too. And this whole year was an experience, but I gotta think, keep that mindset. Like, all right, man, there's more work to be done. Mm-hmm. Each day I think about that. Then this, like, I remember getting my one month chip, and I'm like. I went through the steps pretty quick with my sponsor here. I'm like, hey, God, this is great. Boom, boom, boom. Hey, what, what, what else do I got to work on? Skip, I was doing that. Each month I got something. Like, well, there's more work to be done. There's more work to be done. And there's more, there's more to be done. More things are being revealed today that I can handle. 
give out to my higher power and rely on people in these rooms and people with a lot of time ask questions and keep asking questions because I don't know everything. Mm -hmm. so, even, even all that work you mentioned, it's, you're, you're sowing the seeds for the future. You're talking about going to that basketball game uh, with your with your nephew. No, but little brother. Baby little brother. brother, little baby brother. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Going there, that was that was a product of all the hard work you put in before. So mm -hmm. it's just so cool to relate those that even though there is more work that you're gonna have to do, there is going to be it's gonna pay off. Mm -hmm. If not from some physical like going to an NBA sort of way, mm -hmm. your maturity and how you see life is improving. You coming in here today, you just seem so full of vitality. Like you just have this energy about you. Like you're you're excited about life, and that's mm -hmm. so cool to see. I love when people have that feeling about them that it's just like, man, they're just ready mm -hmm. for the day. Just whatever happens, you know. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, definitely. Yeah, just just focus on today. Yeah, not tomorrow or the past. Mm -hmm. Not even for the past, but tomorrow itself. I don't know what's coming tomorrow. I might be really sad tomorrow. I might be happy mm -hmm. tomorrow. I don't even know. It's all up to my higher power. How I woke. Sometimes I have these dreams. Once in a great while now, these drinking dreams, and I freak out. Like in these dreams, I freak out. Like, oh, I'm drinking. Throw the bottle away, mm -hmm. and I think about my sobriety. Just all over again. And I wake up. Yeah, yeah did that actually happen? <laughs> it just takes me about thirty seconds to realize it's, it's just a dream. Or a nightmare. Or a nightmare. Yeah, yeah, a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> and I thank my higher power, God, for reminding me if I ever drink again. That's what I'm going to do. There's these a lot of reminders this year through family tests, through teaching disease, alcoholism. And one of my cousins survived. Barely survived. I remember I had about 10 months and she kept on calling me for that whole 10 months asking me how I was staying sober. And I told her about the rooms I was going to and the 12 step program. And she said she wanted to do it, but that annoying word, but, showed up. Mm. But, but. Mm. Every time she said that, I'm like, uh, all right, call me when you're ready. Call me every time. She called me hungover or drunk. Call me when you're And then I got a phone call that she's in the hospital. And because a week before that, before that happened, she told me if she ever drinks, drinks again, she could die. The doctor told her. So she went to the hospital and ended up being a coma for about a month and a half. And I went to the state fair and went to go see her. And remember, Going into the hospital and uh, seeing her, all the tubes in her and all that stuff, and uh, scared the shit out of me. Mm -hmm. And I remember thanking God for my sobriety. Because uh, God was showing me what would happen to me if I continued drinking. And I know that sounds mean, but she was being of service to me more than I was being served to her. Mm -hmm. Now, when she woke up, she video chatted me and she was weak and 
barely could he talk and I had to be blunt with her, you are going to die if you continue. If you don't take one more drop or it's not gonna be a problem. Mm-hmm. Well that's the thing, it's not yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If you took one more drop, it wouldn't be a drop, and then you are going to die. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean. And, mm-hmm. You are going to die. Blunt with your excuse. See, still. Still, at that, that point. Mm-hmm. She's staying sober right now through willpower and all that stuff. And I don't think that would be enough. Not sustainable? Yeah, not sustainable. She's staying sober and trying to stay alive. And so keep taking all these medicines. And I'll pray for her. Mm-hmm. I can't do nothing about it because you can't save anyone. Yeah. He doesn't want to be saved. And he doesn't want to help. Mm-hmm. It's sad. And I, all I could say is by the grace of God, we'll get help. And this last book was another reminder to me. It's sad. Family was saying, Why aren't you coming home for funeral? It's like, I don't need to go home. And feel mm-hmm. how you meditate and set it to my device. Prayed about it. Because I know that they're going to be drinking over there. A lot mm-hmm. of drinking. My family's a big ass drinker. Mm-hmm. And I told them, it's like, there's a lot of turmoil over there right now, a lot of family problems with this stuff, too. And I can't go home. Mm-hmm. I can't go home. Mm-hmm. It's got to be kind of hard. Mm-hmm. I'm not even going to go home for Christmas. Yeah. Because there's a lot of turmoil. Yeah. That's actually stronger on your part because it, yeah. you, it seems weak when you go into these situations where it's like, well, if I had enough willpower, but it's not weak. It's actually stronger to know yourself and know mm-hmm. the situation well enough to say, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. And it's not giving up. It's definitely it's being smart about it. It's trying to outwit the cunning and manipulative disease of addiction. Well, you know, you get involved in a little guilt, and then you get involved in a little this, and then pretty soon, you know, that downward spiral could just happen mm-hmm. so fast. So. And I think that I was actually just talking to a friend about this yesterday. I mean, I just talked to one of my good buddies for about an hour yesterday, and he's not an alcoholic or anything like that, you know, but he's just saying, like, because he works out in California, and then he comes up, uh, they're based out of Montana, so he'll come up, and he'll be home for about three months, and then he'll be on the road for nine months. And, mm-hmm. and he's like, dude, like, I've been trying to just, you know, live a little healthier. He's, like, not trying to, like, quit drinking, you know, or anything crazy. He's, like, so I'm, like, starting to go to the gym again, and I'm starting, you know, slow down on drinking and stuff again, you know. And he's, like, but, dude, like, like I haven't drank in three weeks, and, like, I know, like, when I go home, like, I'm going to be drunk this weekend. And, like, not, like, he doesn't have a problem with it, you know what I mean? Like, he's totally fine. Like, he's a, he's just a normal person, you know. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm, like, yeah, like, that's... I think it's just like a weird feel when you go home, dude, especially when you go to places like that, like this is kind of the part of the thing you do, you know what I mean? Like I told him like the place we're from is like a blue collar Montana town, like you wake up, you work and you know, you have a drink, you go out with friends, you have a drink, anything you do, like there's going to be beer pretty much anywhere you go. Like it's just, it's just a part of what people do. Yeah, like it's, and it has a different feel to it when you're home. Because, like, in Alaska, you know, even here, like, it's a lot of, like, you know, the work hard, play hard, people drink, you know, and it's, like, it's a thing people do. But, like, especially in, like, Soldatna, you know, or in Kenai. But, like, when I'm here, like, I don't feel it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't feel, like, that, like, drive to be, like, oh, yeah, I should, you know, like, this is cool. Like, I should get a drink, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't feel that. But then, like, the second that you go home, it's, like, maybe. 
<laughs> you know, and like you know you shouldn't, and like you're not gonna, but like it just feels different, dude. You're you have an old identity that rests there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. My identity over there was in the beginning when I graduated after graduating, going to college and stuff. I was a big influence with the kids, telling them about the traditions and stuff and survival and hunting and all that stuff and like. I remember every time I cut my hair, the weird style kid would cut their hair too. Mm-hmm. They looked up to me. Yeah. Nice. And when I started drinking, the respect disappeared from their parents. Mm-hmm. And I remember they became one, went from big influencer to a drunk at the time. Yeah. And one of the families over there, I remember when I went back last year, before my grandmother's funeral, before I realized I came back, and I remember going over there and people doing these weird looks like that, and drugs by the time, like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the judgmental eyes, and that's in the world of my day, so I'm just going to say goodbye to my grandmother. And left. I brought someone along with me when I came back. So, if I had someone to go along with me this Christmas, I wouldn't be afraid of that. Right. It doesn't mean I I will be able to go home. I'll, I'll go. I'll be able to go home someday. Mm-hmm. Not since not the right end. Right. Even That's just smart. Year, yeah, last year too. Mm-hmm. Last year I didn't even go to. So I stayed, stay in the room, stay with people in recovery, mm-hmm. and actually watched them mm-hmm. while they stayed sober in these tough holidays. Because I uh, sobered up in the house like a tough time. Mm-hmm. Sober with when party starts. <laughs> yeah. 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 So you got Halloween. Yeah. Right. Man, if I could just like, <laughs> if I yeah, could just wait till like January 1st, new year, new me. Got right. this. Uh, right. I was a big learning in school. Mm-hmm. Learning from that. Acting how you stay sober. And, and this year, about two, two weeks ago, I got to go to Phoenix for a trip mm-hmm. with my buddy, and I told him too. We went over there just to get away. We went over there for meetings and all that stuff, and a lot of those good memories. Went to go see the Grand Canyon for the first time. So, the pictures don't do justice. I mean, mm-hmm. When I see it over there, like, <laughs> yeah, dude, it's just, this just reminds me, and I'll probably cut this out, but I have to say it. It's <laughs> there's a Parks and Rec, bro. No, so there's a scene from Parks and Rec <laughs> where um, <laughs> where um, Ron Swanson is, so Ron Swanson's, I don't know if you've seen Parks and Rec, but Ron Swanson's uh, like super libertarian, like white guy with a mustache and like. The man's man. He is the man's man. <laughs> super typical man's Thank man. He goes. Yeah. He goes, oh, yeah, tons of bacon and eggs. He loves it, dude. Yeah. And so he's like, crying's allowed, and crying's allowed at three times in your life. First kid, your wedding day, seeing the Grand Canyon. <laughs> That's it. No, that's other reminds me of. So now every time I hear people talk about going to the Grand Canyon, my first question is like, well, did you cry? <laughs> almost. Yeah. yeah. For real, almost. I almost did cry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, if I wasn't sober, and I thought about this one, if I wasn't sober, I wouldn't see this. Mm-hmm. I wasn't able to do travel and stuff, and thank God and people around me. Mm-hmm. And 
don't know who we're trying to get away from the snow, but when we were flagstaff, there was a lot of snow. <laughs> Come on! Damn it! Yeah. Not? Uh, another tear this time. Not because of you. Oh, yeah. No. Uh, got to see good friends over there, family friends over there who helped me in the way of covering and stuff. And got to talk, catch up with them and all that stuff and I see how they're doing. And friends who I went to treatment over there too. And they're still so. There's like cool. out of 60 people over there in that tricky place, only three of them stayed sober. I, I was one of them who balled out and came back. And, mm-hmm. uh, so it's good to see them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because those are the real friends I got to learn. Uh, even if I knew them for like five months, mm-hmm. they called me. If I called them from Arizona to ask, how are you doing? Man? Mm-hmm. Still sober? <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And all that stuff. And when I came into recovery, my friends I had as a child would never be able to call. Right. It's like not even one phone call. Like, hey, how you doing? Mm. And I, one of my best friends, I still call once in a day. He's, he's like to smoke that weed. Mm-hmm. And he likes to get tired every day, but I try not to associate him with me too much. Right. And I can't change. Mm-hmm. And I still have him in my life. I think there's like something to be said about a certain level of self-awareness you know you're like where you know when you're and it's not that like I feel like you're never gonna like there's not an opportunity for you at some point in your life to like even associate with that person regardless uh, if they're using it or not you know but like at a certain time and place dude like some things just aren't just not in the cards, man. They're just not happening. Mm-hmm. Going home, being friends with certain people, you know, seeing certain people when you do go home, even with like two, three, four years from now, five years from now. When you get to a place where you can go home, where you go home and you don't see everybody, you know, it's because you just got to kind of know. And obviously, like a lot of like your meditation, self reflection, prayer, all that kind of stuff kind of comes back around to help you know yourself a little better. Mm-hmm. But I just think like that's an important piece for. You know, people in recovery that are considering like either going home or like you want to talk to this person or you know these people you're trying to like even sometimes making some amends like that could be difficult mm-hmm. to people that are maybe still in it you know like knowing like when's the right time and place to like put yourself out there a little bit because it's not without risk sometimes because yeah. i remember when i first got into treatment like treatment and all that stuff and going into learning recovery i thought because they told me the only thing I had to change was everything. <laughs> I had to change everything. My friends, but I didn't know that stuff. And I remember thinking, like, wow, I don't want to lose my friends, though. And so I parted with them and that stuff. Like, damn, I'm all going to make friends. And through recovery, I met a lot of real friends. Who so, doesn't use me for anything and all that stuff. And just be there for me. So I think, well, always have each other's back and that's real cool mm-hmm. and yeah. yeah I think that's that's something that a lot of people forget that you get to choose your friends I think some people are really afraid of being lonely so they just are friends with whoever which there's nothing wrong with that but if you get super in-depth super you know try to be coming as, as a kind of transparent with someone, really getting to know them. If you put yourself out there and they're not a good quality person, it's worth 
being that level of friends with, it can really hurt you. And, and there is some people that are really good quality people you can be friends with. And there's some people that maybe you just stay acquaintances. You know, but you have to have that balance and know kind of how much of yourself to put out there. Because, yeah, exactly, exactly, boundaries. Because uh, if you don't, you'll be stuck with a bunch of poor friends and then feel like you have to keep them or you're going to be lonely forever. And that's not true. There's, there's more people out there. It's hard to see that kind of locked in our own perspective. There's more out there. Mm-hmm. I think part of that, too, is a little bit of, like, realizing, like, just some self-worth stuff in general. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, yeah. like, I'm worthy of having friends that are going to have my back. Mm-hmm. I'm worthy of having friends that are, like, that I'm not going to be lonely because I know that, like, I'm a good enough person and I'm whatever enough, you know, to be kept around you know and like yeah. it's gonna be it's gonna be okay mm-hmm. i think that's like one of the things that people start to panic and think that like it's not gonna be okay and like as long as you kind of do things like do the right things most of the time i'm saying you got to be perfect mm-hmm. but if you're if you're swinging a solid 75 percent, you're probably gonna be all right you know what i mean <laughs> like you're gonna be okay like the world's gonna take care of you for the most part if you just don't completely like poo on it <laughs> yeah honestly <laughs> That's one way yeah. I can't argue with it yeah. <laughs> no one's going to hate you too bad if you don't hate them too bad just no. a real quick touch on meditation a little bit more because I keep hearing this more I don't actively do it I, I really want to start getting into it because one of the connections that I kind of just made in my head is you're talking about you know going through that phase where alcohol was in your closet then it's in the refrigerator and i just i feel internally empathy of like that oh i want to but i shouldn't but i want to and get really stuck on a thought and whether it's like oh i shouldn't drink i should drink it's still about drinking you know that's just stuck in your head but with meditation i mean especially um i guess more of a, a classical interpretation of kind of observing thoughts going through your head and not attaching any meaning to them and just letting them go and just kind of observing them. I think you can train yourself to observe stuff like desires, like addiction desires, and work on letting them go instead of becoming just focused. Because I get extremely focused on thoughts. If it's something that I want that I know I shouldn't have, it will, like, consume me. You know, it's, it's just difficult to get out of my head. So I think that meditation has a benefit it potentially could help you to stop from the downward spiral of you know it's either i kill myself or i drink because Mm -hmm. the insanity's got so far that you honestly believe that that that's the only option and you're like well i gotta keep living and then which is logical and makes sense but it's all these rationalizations over time they just kind of filter down into that decision because i felt that i mean I, i know where that's at it's just like it's either this or that and it's it's not but you know, if you get trapped in your own head, in your own space, and you're not, you know, seeking the advice like you've been of these people who have mm-hmm. been through it, or reaching out for support or resources that can really help you, if you get stuck in your head, I mean, you can get trapped there, mm-hmm. and it's not yeah. pretty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's happened when I had that panic attack. Yeah. I told you about that. I was in my head too long. Yeah. I was just talking about it with someone in front of me, like mm-hmm. an alcoholic or someone, because yeah. um, they taught me if I talk about it, Constantly, like just talking for 15 minutes, mm-hmm. and talk about recovery. You know, 
couldn't find couldn't find myself mm-hmm. find my way out until I meditated and calmed mm-hmm. myself down and the seeing the light a little bit. Because mm-hmm. yeah. recovery it's not always going to be an all sunshine and rainbow. Mm-hmm. It's always <laughs> going to be a lot of troubles and trials. Absolutely. But we learn how to go through them. Mm-hmm. That's like I said by asking people how to go through those things. Sometimes you have to face your fears and head on. And in the in the book it says we have to learn to learn how to how to go through it and give it all to our heart balance. And, and mm-hmm. I never had anxiety meds. Depression meds for weeks. I think my second month of sobriety started I guess, 18 months ago, no, 10 months ago. Mm-hmm. And because it was suggested, I learned how to meditate. And when we talked about meditation, I started practicing. At first, it started only for five minutes, like, oh, I can't do that. So mm-hmm. I learned how to do it. So build it up, build it up each time. It is practice. Mm-hmm. It's about practice. Mm-hmm. Super. Super practice and go to this place. Either way, and anything can work. Just meditate and pray. Or just being quiet, sitting in, in a quiet room for a while, listen to your thoughts. And that's, um, you know, those small thoughts you think about. Like, what's going to happen tonight? Or, you know, I think this, that's, I think that would, that would be God conscious, I'd say. Because, uh, the, that small instinct you have, that small voice, you should, you should not do that, this is that, that's to me, that's God talking to me, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And there's a lot of different meditations you can do. Absolutely. But the one I found out right now is working for me, so I can do it. And each day I wake up and pray to God like that. I'm an alcoholic, keep me sober, wake up and thinking, and then sit lay there, or sit down and meditate, and go through my day. And when I forget to do that in the morning, my anxiety is like, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, what's going on here? Right. And that stuff. And, and, and to call my, call my sponsor, I'm like, oh, I'm feeling restless, irritable, and discontent. And I'm like, did you pray today? <laughs> no. <laughs> right. Did you meditate today? Oh, no. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and each day we have a reset button. We can reset our day any day. If I'm irritated for enough, if I'm irritated right now, I can just be quiet and go reset my day, reset my day, reset button. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so, you know, meditation is practice. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen overnight. Recovery is not going to happen <laughs> overnight. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's going to take a while because this whole year, learning how to express my feelings and mm-hmm. dig down inside deep, it's not. No, nothing happening out here is going to hurt me but inside. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's an inside job. Mm-hmm. I learned asking questions and talking about them and letting them out, crying, anger, working out, and all that stuff. Now, having a year sober is, I have to pass it on because I'm suffering alcoholism or depression. Mm-hmm. But the only way I can stay sober is to pass it on to someone. Mm-hmm. Because if I see someone, you help someone and you should see a light come out of their eyes. That's not my do, that's God's do. But mm-hmm. seeing someone forget it in recovery is what's important. Yeah. It's a beautiful. Because one of my close friends, Marlon Dock, used to work here, Jimmy came to visit. And he told me he would take a drink for a week. And I'm like, well, I'm going to my home group meeting tonight. You want to join? 
heard something in there. He kept on. So he comes every weekend and stuff like this weekend. And he's been staying and he shared with me and shared from his heart about how he struggled and stuff. That got me teared up. It's up to him now. Mm-hmm. Even my cousin too, Ryan, and he's a program too now. He, he, he went home just recently. So awesome to see that transition, you know, from you've had your own recovery and fought hard for it, and now you're able to kind of help the next person and be the person that you've had these other people be for you and support them and kind of lead them in a direction that you know from experience is tough, but it's worth it. It's worth it to have a life that's completely yours, to see beautiful things like the Grand Canyon Mm -hmm. or just amazing time with your, your little brother. Like these are just like the highlights of your life that you didn't even know you could have. Mm-hmm. But now you can share that with other people. And I think that's that's the, the beautiful progression of recovery isn't just the self growth, but getting others to grow also. Yeah. It's incredible. Because I in like this whole year too like I think about between mid sixteen months six months. Because I thought nothing was changing, mm-hmm. all that stuff. But people can see the change in you. Mm-hmm. People see it, but we're focusing on ourselves too much and all the negative thoughts. We don't see what, what's changing in our lives mm-hmm. and all the perspectives we see. And because uh, the book asks us to look at life at an entirely different angle. If someone pissed me off, I look at it the end of the person's sick. Mm-hmm. And when someone died, I look at it the end of And each problem I had was, I asked God, I asked God, instead of saying, I want, what am I going to do and all that stuff? How am I going to get through it? And I'd be like, all right, God, what's the solution here? How can I get through this? Mm-hmm. Keeping on calm, mindful, meditating, meditating about it, praying about it. And, Awesome. Sounds like this past year has been good to you. It's going to keep going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sobriety yeah. has if been I, good to you. Uh, if I continue what I'm doing right now, I might say so. Yeah. <laughs> you can do it. Oh, man. We believe in you. And we believe in you. If anyone's listening out there today that is ready to reach out for some help, is ready to uh, change their lives for the better, or anyone that's just in recovery and struggling a little bit today. You can keep going. We believe in you. You can Google Serenity House, call the intake office, uh, talk to Sherry. She'll get you figured out if you're if you're looking to get into the program, if you're looking to get help. Thank you very much. This was you and I for the keynote.